welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Charles Spurgeon, um, in the 1800s, preached a sermon called Little Sins, and honestly, that would peel the wallpaper off any church building. Uh, I don't know if you'd have a church left after that sort of preaching now, but in one of that, uh, that sermon, he said, the best of men have always been afraid of little sins. And it's, it's usually the big things that we are aware of, but so often the devil can come in with the little things in our lives. That's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. I don't know if you guys have Netflix subscriptions. I think the only thing Netflix is good for is its investigative documentaries. I love the documentaries. There's one, and it's on there, and you guys can watch it. It's, it's pretty crazy. It's called Downfall, the Case Against Boeing. Again, in 2019, that, that documentary examined two um, Boeing 737 MAX incidents where both airlines crashed, killing a combined 346 people. And again, is it like, was it engine malfunction? What was the culprit? Ended up the culprit was just a small, insignificant sensor on the nose of the planes. Um, and that was faulty. And because it was faulty, uh, it started a whole series of things that, that led to the complete crash and, and so many hundreds of lives lost. It's an incredible um, sad story. Many times it is the small and significant things that cause the most damage. So that was a whole lot of planes. We're going to change the analogies to animals. What's the, what's the world's deadliest animal? You know, per kills, you know, the animals that kill humans every year, which is the animal that kills the most? And I thought straight away it must be sharks, but sharks don't even come close. It's like six shark deaths a year. Um, elephants and hippos both kill about 500 people a year. Crocodiles, they say at least 1,000 people a year are killed by crocodiles. Dogs are 25,000 a year. So um, you guys got to watch out if you ever go to the Gray's house and you see their dog, Otis. He's not as cuddly as he seems. 25,000 deaths a year caused by dogs. Snakes, we sort of understand snakes, 100,000 a year. What is the animal that causes the most deaths? In, in, in the world, is it like something gigantic, something with a whole lot of fangs, something that's like a terrible carnivore? Mosquitoes. 750,000 deaths just recorded, so it's far more than that. 750,000 deaths a year are caused by mosquitoes. And many times it is the small, insignificant things in life that cause the most damage. It's the smallest thing that can pose the greatest risk in our lives. In the same way, it is the small sins in our Christian life that can lead us to spiritual death. It's easy to spot the big sins. You know, if an elephant walked in this morning, I mean, we're pretty, if there's an elephant to the room, we'd also notice that there is a big elephant. We've sort of dodged that elephant. We sort of understand it's, it's those big things you can't really miss. It's easy to dodge a hippo. But what are we doing with the little mosquitoes in our life? Do we realize how dangerous those little things are? Okay, let's dive into the, the Bible now. Song of Songs, uh, verses two, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Now, this is a song by Solomon. Solomon was a king. He was David's son. Um, he had an incredible dream, and, and God asked him what he wanted. He said he wanted wisdom above all else. So he was an incredibly wise man, probably the most wise man ever to have lived uh, besides Jesus 
on planet Earth. And um, he wrote a, a few books, but um, Song of Solomon really is a conversation between him and his lover. And it's an, an incredible uh, picture of um, Jesus and his bride, which is us. But really, it's just a conversation that Solomon was having with his lover. And there is a very interesting verse there, Song of Songs 2, verse 15. It says, our vineyards are in blossom. We must catch the little foxes that destroy the vineyards. Our vineyards are in blossom. We must catch the little foxes that destroy the vineyards. Solomon teaches us that we must not disregard those seemingly insignificant things that can harm and destroy many important things in our lives, including our relationship with God our relationship with others, our marriages, these, these little things. And, and Solomon says they're little foxes. When the vineyards are in blossom, we must be aware of them. We must pay attention. We must catch them. Because not only do they eat the blossoms, that they also potentially can wreck the whole entire vineyard. So just three little points out of that verse. Number one, little foxes are stealth predators who feed in the shadows. They're they're not just carnivores, they're hunters, but they are very opportunists. They eat a lot of um, fruit and stuff as well, as we see in this verse. Charles Spurgeon says this, When Satan cannot get a great sin in, he will let a little one in. Like the thief who goes and finds shutters all coated with iron and bolted in sight. At last, he sees a little window in a chamber. He cannot get in, so he puts a little boy in that he may go around and open the back door. So the devil has always his little sins to carry about with him to go and open the back doors for him. And we let one in and say, oh, it is only a little one. Yes, but how that little one becomes the ruin of the entire man. Little foxes are stealth predators. They are small. They, they are opportunists. They feed and hunt in the shadows, in the secret. Number two, little foxes eat the blossoms causing the vines to stop producing or reproducing. So obviously you need blossoms to continue the life and the growth of the vine and, and the vineyard, but little foxes attack those things, stopping fruit in the vineyard. Little foxes, little sins, cause us to stop producing fruit in our lives. And it got me thinking about discipleship because that's a, a great theme of our church um, and I think it will be for quite some time, getting back to what discipleship is. Jesus said, I will build my church, but he gave us the mandate to go and to make disciples. As we make disciples, then uh, he will build his church. And as disciples, we are to, to make disciples. We reproduce who we are. And just a thought this morning around that, um, I'm not sure how successful the Western world or the Western church is at actually making disciples. We've got so much more than the early church, but the early church was so good at it. There's a reason why we're not being successful and more productive and reproducing disciples is that we are very aware of the big sins, so we avoid those, but we're, put up being, we're putting up with the little sins in our lives, and the little sins are causing us to be less fruitful than we could be. It's worth thinking about. Little foxes are stealth predators who feed in the shadows. Number two, little foxes eat the blossoms, causing the vines to stop producing or reproducing. And I'm a, I think if we're following Jesus and we're walking in the center of his will for our lives, we will naturally be fruitful without even trying. 
Sometimes we've got to have a cold hard look at our lives and wonder if there is any kingdom fruit happening in our lives. And if there isn't, let's be man and woman enough to ask why. And perhaps we are putting up with and, and petting and making a pet of a little fox. Number three, little foxes don't just endanger the blossoms, but they endanger the entire vineyard. The little fox, yeah, it's just eating some blossoms, no big deal. Vineyards are huge, but it's the little foxes that can actually potentially ruin the entire thing. There's a couple of examples in the Bible about that point that I want to share this morning. The first one is Moses. So Moses had an anger problem his whole life that he never really got dealt with. And it led to his downfall. And Moses was like one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. If not the greatest, he was an incredible man of God. He led millions of people out of slavery in Egypt. But there was, at one point in his life, this little fox called anger that he never, ever really got sorted. And it just got worse and worse in his life until he could never, ever enter into the promised land, the land that God had promised him. He could only see it from a distance. And I haven't got scriptures and, and verses and stuff for you, but a lot of you will probably know the story of Moses quite well. So while he was still in Egypt, he lost his temper and he killed an Egyptian guard. When he was on the, the mountain of God, when God gave him the Ten Commandments, he, he went down and he saw um, the Israelite nation indulging in, in pagan revelry and uh, some would say it was righteous anger, but still he had an anger issue. He threw those tablets that God had made down and smashed them. He'd lost his temper again. A little while later, um, God tells him to speak to the rock and then there's gonna be a miracle that happens and water's gonna gush forth from it and, and people are gonna be saved and be able to have water. He gets angry again. He loses his temper. This little fox is no longer little. He strikes the rock out of anger with his staff. And as he's an old man, he's not allowed to enter the promised land. He was the leader of entire nation going into what God had planned for him. He was only ever able to see it from a distance because he had not dealt with the little fox in his life. And it's probably one of the saddest things. Obviously, the other side of death is with God forever, but in this lifetime, he was never able to fully enter into what God had for him. And wouldn't it be the most tragic thing that we get to the end of our lives as followers of Jesus and we can just see what God had for us? We can see it, we can picture it, we know what future he had, but we aren't able to enter into it. We can only see it from a distance in this lifetime because we never got the little foxes dealt with in our lives. Let's look at David, 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 onwards. In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David is an incredible leader, an incredible man after God's heart. He's supposed to be leading his nation, his troops, but he doesn't. He just delegates. David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, so he's having a whole lot of nana naps now, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now that word noticed in the, in the Hebrew, it's not just looked uh, and then like ricocheted his eyes, it's he looked and he lingered. So he notices a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was and he was told she is Bathsheba, uh, the daughter of Eliham and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. 
Uh, verse 4, then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Now, we don't know if this was consensual or not. It becomes a lot more disturbing if it wasn't consensual. Verse 5, later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. The little fox in David's life was just a look that was not just a short look. He didn't bounce his eyes. He didn't ricochet his eyes. It was someone else's wife. You know, he could have just looked over and thought, flip, there is a naked woman. What is she doing there? But I can't look at that for any longer. I can't. But he lingered. That was just a little fox. It's like no big deal, really. He wasn't killing anyone. He wasn't sleeping with her. It was just a look, right? It was just a little fox, no big deal. Patting, making a pet of that little fox. What are the consequences of that look? David orchestrates the murder of one of his most loyal mighty men, Uriah, someone that would gladly give his life for his king, someone so loyal, he pretty much killed him. David's son by Bathsheba dies, his sexual immorality within David's family, incest and rape becomes murder within David's family as we see with Absalom killing Amnon. David loses authority to correct his own family because he's seeing these weaknesses in his own kids, but he understands that he's, he never got a doubt within his own life, so he loses authority to even be a, a courageous, corrective dad. An insurrection of David's throne by his own son. David then flees for his life. There's immorality in public by Absalom. Absalom sleeps with all of his wives and concubines. There's war between David's forces and his son's forces. Absalom is killed. Violence and sexual impropriety become mainstays in David's family line from then on. And then we see in King, uh, sorry, David's son, King Solomon's, this lust for woman, this continued uh, little fox, which is a big fox, leads to even Solomon's downfall. And we read about that in 1 Kings 11, verse one. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, verse two. And the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Just imagine all the mothers-in-laws. <laughs> and I want to keep bringing up Solomon, and I, I shared it. He, he was the one that wrote the words about this, the little foxes. You can, you can know everything. You can be the wisest person in the universe and yet choose to do the wrong thing because it's an act of the will. And it led to Solomon's downfall. He wrote Ecclesiastes and he's, just, he's got everything in excess in his whole life, in everything, money, women, everything. And yet he's miserable and he's depressed and he's disillusioned and he's a mess and he's empty and he's broken. So I, I, it hasn't happened much, but it's happened a handful of times when I'm talking with people and their lives have been wrecked. And they start telling me their story. You know, it's, it's never, it never ever goes like this. I've been on fire my whole life and just, just yesterday I accidentally slept with someone and it just, just happened and whoops, now I've wrecked. It never ever happens like that or I, I did something else. It is always a long journey of little steps in the wrong direction. It is always, start, it always starts with little foxes that 
we don't get rid of, we entertain and, and we pet, we make pets of these little foxes. And those little foxes never stay little, they always grow. Little foxes always grow into bigger foxes. It's a slow drift. The journey to failure is made up of many little steps in the wrong direction. That is why little foxes are so dangerous. And I think this morning is a wake-up call for me. It's a wake-up call for you. It's a wake-up call for all of us. That, you know, yeah, the big, big elephants and the big hippos and the crocodiles, we can sort of dodge those. We sort of know enough. And, but it's these little foxes in our lives that we've really got to watch out. And they may not be dangerous today, but the consequence of making a little fox a pet over the long term can destroy lives, and it does destroy lives. Song of Songs 2 verse 15, our vineyards are in blossom. We must catch the little foxes that destroy the vineyards. You guys all right? And um, I just want to give some helpful steps, just four, and then we're going to get the band up after that. And, uh, and then we're going to just have some communion, which I think is really powerful. Um, and you know, why do we do steps? It's like, you know, these four, do people even take notes during these? I'm not sure. If, if, you're, if you're saved, you will. Um, but we've got notes on the Bible app. And, you know, and, and these points are simple and they're biblical and they've been given to us in the Bible because Jesus wants us to be victorious and free and live in victory in our lives. So you may think, oh, we've heard all this before, and it may not be any big deal to you, but this potentially, you know, if you're serious about this, it can, it can cause you, you can bring freedom to your life because Jesus loves us to be free. Number one, deal with it now. It's never going to get easier to deal with. Deal with the little foxes now because the little fox is never going to be as little as it is now. It always is going to get bigger. Little foxes grow into big foxes. They never grow into smaller foxes. It's never going to get easier. But the devil will say, well, you know, when you're in a better place or, you know, when, when the opportunity arises, then that conversation, I'll, I'll, you know, God can sort that out. It's never, ever going to get easier than it is right now to deal with these things. And I've talked about planes. I've talked about animals. I'm going to give one more a little analogy about plants. Um, who, who's got a yucca plant in, in their house? You know, when they're little, they, they look so cute and cool. And, and we were given a whole lot from my mum and dad-in-law. And so we planted out our garden with them. And like, they, honestly, they look so awesome. But then five years later, they are like monsters. These yucca plants are taller than our house now. And um, one of them, honestly, it's like about that round in the garden. There's like about five or six offshoots of, and, and they, you know, I don't know if you've ever walked past and you've been nicked by a yucca plant. They can cause a lot of injury. And I hate those yucca plants. <laughs> I think hell's going to be full of yucca plants. I really do. They are just so terrible now. But to get rid of them, and we're going to have to get rid of them sometime, it's going to cost a lot of money and a lot of labor. And it's going to, why on earth did we ever plant those in the first place? Why on earth did my mum-in-law ever give me these cute and cuddly yucca plants? Now you could just chuck them away when they were this big in the rubbish bin, but now they're just like huge. Yeah, I do. I do. Maybe that's a little fox in my life I need to forgive. Anyway. Deal with them while they're little. 
because they will always grow bigger and they will always grow more powerful and more nastier in your life. Number two, confess to someone. Proverbs 28 verse 13, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. God wants us all to prosper. He's done everything he can. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be completely whole and complete and in freedom. He wants the best for us. He wants us to prosper. And confession is incredible. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Again, I think it comes back to living in community and about discipleship, having people in your life that you know that they love you and they want the very best for you and they can keep a confidence, but they will agree with you in a prayer of repentance and confession and see you free. Confess to someone. Number three, live with nothing to hide. Live with nothing to hide. 1 John 1, 7, if we, but if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That is the most amazing verse. If we are living in the light, getting our light out into the open so there's nothing that we wanna hide from anyone. If we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin can be cleansed. But we don't really like that process. We like if we are keeping or making pets of little foxes, we want to isolate and push those accountable relationships away. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire but breaks out against all sound judgment. Again, getting back to discipleship. Discipleship, a big part of discipleship is actually having people in your life that they have the opportunity and permission and your blessing to speak a word of loving correction into your life. And you know that they love you enough and you know that it's not easy for them, but they care for you enough because we've all got blind spots to say, hey, Simon, I love you and I see this area that probably needs a little bit of adjustment in your life. Can we talk about that? We all need that and that is a huge part of discipleship, being willing to be discipled. And it's, it's heartbreaking. And we all know people, Christy and I know people, and, and you desperately really want to speak into their life because you know that they are going off course and it's, gonna, it's not going to end well. But we just have not got the passport in their lives. So it's like really there's no point in saying anything because those walls are always up. But if, if we take the walls down, if we care for people enough, or sorry, if we know that they care for us enough, that they will speak into our life when we need it. That's the most incredible thing. That is true discipleship. And we need people in our lives that will do that. Please don't be a person who isolates himself. It's, it's not, not gonna be good. Number four, surrender to Jesus. I, um, I grew up in the Salvation Army and um, their holiness service on a Sunday morning was was awesome and, and they had honestly a literal like a seat up the front and at the end when the, the band was playing, people were encouraged to come forward and to kneel, kneeling at the mercy seat. It's a picture of kneeling at the cross of Jesus and, and just ask for a fresh start of Jesus. It's it was so beautiful and it was so life changing. But um, when I was under conviction of sin, I hated those times because it was all about surrendering everything. 
to Jesus. And sometimes I wonder if we've made salvation a little bit too easy now. We don't talk about the consequence of sin. We just say, give your life to Jesus. He just loves you, and he does, and it's a free gift. But there is always a cost. I think sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus, but do we give the little things in our life to Jesus? When we actually wanna do something, but we know that that's not gonna be pleasing to God, so we choose God over what we wanna do? And we come to the mercy seat and we ask for mercy and it is a big deal. We know and we acknowledge that we are surrendering everything to Jesus. And we start our Christian walk on that basis. We are gonna be strong overcoming believers. There's a song that we used to sing quite often. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Saviour. I surrender all. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.